I will be reading from the book of Luke, chapter 24, verses 1 through 24. It can be found on page 1621 in the Pew Bibles. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked them, If one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited... Take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, Friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to the master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. The word of God for the people of God. Oh, 
Oh God, we pray that you would speak to us today. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see all that you are doing and all that you would like to do in us and through us. God, may all that we say and all that we do point others to you. And you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So today we're going to finish up. We've been doing four weeks on the parables of Jesus. Um, and I hope that as we have journeyed through these, these parables, uh, this common teaching technique that Jesus employed over and over again in the Gospels, I hope that you've maybe found something, heard something new in some of these familiar stories, or maybe, maybe you'll leave this uh, thinking about the parables in a new way. We've looked at uh, the first week from Luke 15, the parable of, who can remember who was listening, the lost sheep and the lost coin. The week after that, we continued in Luke 15, this extended discourse that's focused on three parables. And the second was the parable of the prodigal son. I heard somebody mutter a man who had two sons. Thank you, you were listening. Last week was, uh, again from Luke, Luke records the most uh, parables of Jesus, the story of the good Samaritan. And today, uh, Carol read for us Jesus telling in Luke. It's also recorded toward the end of Matthew, a little bit differently, uh, but this is Luke's version of the parable of the banquet. Now, the parable uh, of the banquet kind of comes toward the end, but I wanted us to hear, and thank you, Carol, for reading so beautifully. I wanted us to hear a good bit before the parable because it helps us understand the context in which Jesus offers this particular parable. And that's really important, I think, to sort of unpack all that Jesus offers in this parable of the banquet. How many of you um, like to eat? We heard this morning that Nico likes to eat. And I guess all of us do too, right? Um, how many of you in your families have a tradition where you gather around a table? A lot of heads nodding. Maybe, maybe it's a holiday or a birthday or a special occasion throughout the year. When I was a kid growing up, Thanksgiving was our big family holiday. I would look forward to Thanksgiving probably starting about this time, July or August, because Thanksgiving, not only because there was good food, trust me, that was one of the reasons to look forward to it, um, but Thanksgiving, uh, we would go to my grandmother and grandfather's house. I grew up right on the hill right behind them. So we'd just walk down the hill, all the family would come together, and that was the holiday in my family where all the family was together. Christmas, everybody would disperse and go to extended family or in-laws or travel. Um, but Thanksgiving was the time where everybody got together. And, and, and my grandmother, she would, she would just invite anybody. You know, we'd, we'd have, we'd have uh, maybe 25, 30 members of the family there. But she would, she'd find out about somebody maybe up the road who didn't have a place to go. Or um, there was a little community hospital about 10 minutes, 15 minutes from where I grew up who would have traveling nurses. And if she found out there was someone... Uh, who was going to be alone that day, she'd tell that nurse, hey, come on down, come down for Thanksgiving. So it was very common growing up to go down for Thanksgiving and to see a whole bunch of people I didn't know. And maybe my grandmother didn't even know them either, but she'd invite them in. You know, I remember when I was a kid at Thanksgiving that I could not wait until I was old enough to sit with the grown-ups. 
How many of you have a family tradition, maybe at a holiday or a meal, where the grown-ups are at the dining room table, maybe there's a card table or something else small set up in maybe the living room or another room, and that's where the kids went. Yeah, Nate knows, Nate buddy here, I feel you, I feel you. I couldn't wait, when I was sitting at that little kid's table, I couldn't wait to sit with the grown-ups. You know, in my mind, I knew that on Thanksgiving, when I had a place at the table with all the grown-ups, oh, I I would have arrived. You know, that would have been a a milestone, a watershed moment in in life, was to be able to sit with the grown-ups at Thanksgiving. Now when I go to Thanksgiving, you know what I want to do? I want to sit with the kids. <laughs> I, 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 that's where I want to be, hang out with the kids. You know, the, the conversation is often better. The company's good. It's carefree. And uh, so I, I love that. But growing up, the kids would go to the kids' table, and then there would be the adults, and then, you know, especially on Thanksgiving or, or, or Christmas, which was a much smaller gathering, but Thanksgiving, my grandfather, he'd be at the head of the table, and he would maybe read Psalm 100, right? I'll enter his courts with thanksgiving, enter his gates with praise. He would read something, he would pray, um, and then, you know, we would start eating. But there was a particular order to it. I knew where my grandfather was going to sit. I knew where my grandmother was going to sit. If there were people who were invited, who were guests, who were not part of the family, often they'd sit near my grandparents. It was a way for the host to be able to get to know these uh, strangers whom they had invited into their home. And pretty soon, strangers became family. That's how it was at my grandmother and grandfather's house. Friends, in Jesus' day, when people sat down around a table, when there was fellowship around a meal when they sat down, it was, a, it was a very important time in the life of that host, or that occasion. Um, and where one sat would say something about that person, about their status, about their standing in their community. Um, it was, it was um, to get together around a table um, would tell one a whole lot about the host, about the guest, just by how they conducted themselves, where they sat, who was invited, who wasn't invited, we can infer all sorts of meaning and understand so much about the individuals in the story. So Jesus is invited, and he's sitting around a table. And it's on the Sabbath. He's with religious leaders, and there's someone who needs to be healed. Someone who uh, Bible scholars think he probably had what we would understand of as edema, Right? Swelling of the limbs, the legs, um, very painful condition, perhaps uh, debilitating. This person is brought to Jesus, Jesus heals this person. Um, and then it prompts this longer discussion about what it is lawful or not to do on the Sabbath. Friends, you find this discussion over and over again in the Gospels. For ancient Jews, there were all sorts of rules about what you could or could not do on the Sabbath. Conduct was strictly regulated. And we see over and over again in the Gospels that Jesus, with his heart of compassion toward others, heals. He reaches out to the sick. He touches people that you shouldn't touch. We see Jesus' compassion, mercy, his love for others over and over again. And here in this moment, we find that Jesus sitting around a table, someone comes to him, he heals him, it starts this discussion, and then Jesus launches into what are actually three parables 
about what it means to be a host, about what it means to be a guest, and then what it means really at its core to be part of the kingdom of God. Melissa, if you can go to the next slide. Just to remind us as we've been going through these parables, that parables, as I said last week, they're like an onion. There's layers of meaning. And perhaps the more we peel them back, the more richness and truth we find. But parables tell us something about God's relationship with humans, about human relationship with each other, and then about how to live in this world. That's the moral and ethical concerns, or let's put a a, a more of a biblical term on it, about kingdom principles, kingdom living. As a member of the kingdom of God, under His rule, what does it mean to live out our faith with those around us? That's the moral and ethical concern. Melissa, you can go to the next slide. I want to leave this picture up. I found this picture this week. This is a modern rendering of the parable of the banquet. And when you look at this picture, uh, what, what catches your eye? What do you see? See lots of people. What kind of people do you see? Disabled folks, right? Able-bodied people, all sorts of different kinds of people, right? There's different uh, racial and ethnic backgrounds. There's men and women. There's children. Um, There are people who are sitting. There are people who are serving. We have hosts and guests here in this picture. And I want to just leave this up as a way to help us reflect on this parable as we walk through it. I want to pull out some principles for us in just a few moments that we have. What this parable teaches us about ultimate concerns, about God's relationship with us, our relationship with each other, and then once we understand the vertical and the horizontal relationships, then we can start to unpack what it means to live all of this out in our world. So Jesus begins, and he's talking about places around the table. And he says, listen, if you're invited as a guest, you may be someone who is entitled to a place of honor. But go to a lower place. And it's not a a posture of humility so that you will be invited up into a higher seat. It is a lifestyle of humility for its own sake. Not so that we can uh, use our humility as a way to brag or boast about ourselves. But it's a way of authentically living the way that God has called us to live. In relationship with Him and with each other. It's about people of humility. So Jesus offers this parable, I think, and one of the things that we can pull from this as a guest is that we're called to be people of humility. When we've been invited in, when you've been invited into somebody's home, it's a privilege, right? When someone opens their home to you, that indicates to you something about yourself and the person who has invited you. Often when you open your home to someone, that's a posture of trust, isn't it? You invite them into your home. They go around your place and you trust them that they're not going to abuse the privilege of being a guest in one's home. Well, friends, it's the same with Christ. We've been invited in. We're guests, aren't we? We're guests. There's nothing that we can do to earn, to deserve our place at that table that Christ has set. 
We come at His invitation. And we come humbly. Knowing that it is only by His mercy that we even have a seat anywhere near that table. So a good guest, a good participant in the kingdom of God, someone who has been invited to Christ's table, has a posture of humility. Well, then Jesus go on and talks about what it means to be a host. Listen to these words uh, that Carol read. I, I want to read this again for us. When you give a luncheon or a dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. In other words, what Jesus is saying here is, listen, when, when you live that lifestyle of humility, when you seek to be a gracious host, a participant with God together in the kingdom, don't look at things that the world looks at. Don't look at status and fame. Friends, even for us, isn't that attractive? Have you ever been around someone who's rich or someone who's famous? It's nice to get close to them, isn't it? There's a pull, I think, towards status and fame and wealth because our world tells us, doesn't it, that those are things that bestow ultimate meaning. And yet Jesus, in this teaching, undercuts all of that. Friends, that was the same in the ancient world as it is in our world. A desire for wealth and to power and to get close to it. And Jesus says, when you're a host, don't invite those people. Find the people who can't repay you. The poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. And in doing so, you'll receive ultimate reward. They can't repay you. And it's out of that sense of humility and this Friends, this all goes back to this core principle that it's because of what Christ has done for us. And when we understand that, when we realize that we were an outsider and we were brought in by mercy and grace to the table, that should instill within us a sense of humility that shows itself in serving others, particularly those from whom we can't receive anything but we love and we serve them because that's what Christ has called us to do. That and that alone. Because we know what it was like to be on the margins. We know what it was like spiritually perhaps to be lame and deaf and blind. But now that Christ has opened our eyes and healed us, we're called out of humility to be gracious hosts, looking for the people whom society has excluded, and embodying God's radical hospitality. And then Jesus goes on and gives uh, the parable of the banquet. Now, when I read through this parable, this is something that struck me this week. There's a person who's having a great banquet. And again, in the ancient world, this is a big deal. This was a community celebration. You remember when we talked about the prodigal, right? And he he kills the fattened calf. Implied in that act is inviting the whole community. Everybody would have come. This was a a, a once-in-a-lifetime event. Same with this banquet. This is an important event. 
And so there are three people who were invited, and we, we see that they give, a, they give an excuse why they can't come. The first has a field, just bought a field, needs to attend to it. The second has oxen, needs to take care of them. The third one says, hey, listen, I just got married. I can't come to the banquet. And they all refuse the invitation. Now think about that, those excuses. They're not small excuses. The first two have significant economic implications. They have to do with livelihood, with sustenance, tending a field, oxen. And then the third one, the fellow says, hey, I just got married, I can't come. Well, did you know in the ancient world, if you just got married, that let you free from military service? This is a big deal. These are not small, petty things. These aren't people who are searching for, oh, goodness, Hector invited me to his house, and I don't really like Hector. I don't want to go. I need to make up an excuse. No, that's not what's happening here. These are real, real reasons that in any banquet in the ancient world, if the person gave these reasons, they would have reasonably been excused from attending. So what does Jesus mean? Friends, your best excuse is no reason to not participate in the kingdom of God. All of us, all of us have commitments that hound us from every angle. All of us have things to which we need to attend. But friends, Jesus teaches us that to live in the kingdom, to be humble guests and gracious hosts, what that means is our commitment to Christ is above all. There is nothing else no matter how pressing it may seem to be us on at the moment, there is nothing else that reaches the level of our commitment to Christ, of His call on our lives, and our mission to be people of radical hospitality and serve those around us. There's nothing that is that important. And yet how easy it is, friends, to make excuses. I make them every day. I make excuses. Especially, friends, when, when we have so many things around us that are pulling for our attention, and yet there's that call of Christ to do this, to do that. How many of us, friends, are so busy that we constantly miss opportunities around us to be the hands and feet of Jesus? Maybe you're, maybe you're in that checkout line at the grocery store, and there's somebody behind you who if you just turned around and noticed, you could see it written on their face that they need a word of encouragement. How many of his friends have going through the busyness of the day and maybe you've had a nagging feeling in your mind to call a particular individual, but you, you justify not reaching out by all the other things to do on your list. Friends, commitment to Christ is above all. That's what it means to be in the kingdom is to put the concerns of Christ above oh, any other earthly concern that we might have. Finally, friends, I think we can sum up this, this parable. We, we've seen that a guest is humble. A host is gracious, inviting the margins of society to participate. We've also seen that Christ invites us, and that as followers of Him, as participants in His kingdom, Nothing else takes priority than the concerns of Christ. 
But I want us to focus on this statement as we close. We are included at Christ's invitation. We are excluded by our own choice. Friends, we see in this parable that the invitation goes out. The invitation goes out, doesn't it? And yet the individuals have the choice to participate or not. And we see in this parable there's three individuals who choose not to participate. As reasonable as their excuses may seem, they choose not to participate. And it's the others, perhaps, and we see this in the Gospels, friends. It's those who know that they're weak, that they don't deserve it, that they need mercy, that they know their condition is broken and dysfunctional, and they need the redeeming, healing touch of Jesus. It's often those folks who end up coming to that table because they know their need. And friends, at that table, where there's wine and bread, at that table, we find healing. We find our true place. And we find ourselves. We are included at Christ's invitation. It's all mercy. There's nothing that we can do to earn it. We don't deserve it. And yet, the gracious host calls us anyway. And we are excluded by our own choice. All of us have a decision to make for Christ. All of us do. To give our lives to Him. To follow Him. To say, I am going to look after the concerns of Christ over and above my own. One of my favorite scriptures is Paul's letter to the Philippians. In chapter 2, Paul exhorts the Philippians and he says, let this mind, this worldview, this attitude, this orientation be in you that was also in Christ Jesus, who did not esteem his equality with God as something to be exploited, but took upon himself the form of a servant, humbled himself, and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. We see in Christ the perfect image of a humble servant and a gracious host who calls and invites us to that table, but not to stay seated at the table, but to go out and to look for others who need to be invited. To leave this building. To take what we get here and to go out. That's the purpose of the church. We come here. We come to Christ's table. We gather around it. We're renewed. We're refreshed. And then we're sent out. Humbly to call others to that table where they can meet the ultimate host, the one whose hands are extended toward all, Jesus Christ. Amen.